Dusty's song that he just led, number uh, 803, was uh, really very appropriate for the lesson that we're going to look at this morning because we're going to talk about uh, the primacy of the heart, that the heart really is primary. And we know that it's really an analogy of, of the body and, and the heart that, that pumps blood is central to our well-being and our health physically. And just as that is true, that what's primary to our well-being spiritually is those things that are our thoughts that are centermost in our minds. Now, we, we can think about all the different things that may come into our mind and we, we dwell on them for just a half a second and then they're out. That's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is those thoughts and those desires that are central in our, in our minds and control us from, and they, 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 they drive us to the actions that we ultimately take. And Jesus is going to address that this uh, as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter. 5. Hopefully, you remember that we're we're studying uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount was a lesson that Jesus really turned the world upside down with in in a lot of ways. And if you just think about it, it this was imagine if you had someone that was going throughout the country and was healing people. I mean, not fake healing, but literally taking people who had been deaf since birth, and now they could hear. Or they were blind, and now they could see. Or they were lame, or they had leprosy. And now they were completely healed, and and people knew that. So they began to follow Him around. And this was a what I would consider a regional event. If you look at just this passage in Matthew chapter 4, it says there were a great multitude that followed Him from Galilee. That's way up to the north there of the map. And from Decapolis over there to the far right. Uh, from Jerusalem, uh, from Judea and beyond Jordan. So that whole area that we would consider central to Bible times, people flocked to Jesus not at this point because of his teaching, but rather because of his ability to heal. And they recognized the power in this man that they hadn't seen before. And so now he takes this occasion to go up to a mount and to preach to them. And here's the central theme of what he's going to say in this, in, in these verses in Matthew chapter five. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, and then he's fill in the blank, But I'm going to say to you something else. And he's going to use really two central things, uh, murder and adultery, to make a point. And I think just like, you know, when Jesus, he taught by parable a lot. And he would take a parable and he would make an application of that parable. He would teach some greater principle by this story that he was telling. Well... This is a little bit like that in the sense that he's using real examples, not not some story, but real examples of things that they already knew. And he's going to take that to another level. And, you know, sometimes we can get caught up so much in the detail that we don't see the big picture. And the big picture is really pretty simple. And yet it's very difficult to follow. What matters is the heart. What matters is what are your central desires because ultimately your central desires are going to be the things that drive your behaviors. And Jesus is going to teach. 
he's going to use that to teach um, these this this important principle. And so uh, let's just start with this in in verse twenty one. He says that you've heard it was said of those of old, you shall not commit murder. Well, you think about all the people that were there. Undoubtedly, whatever country they came from, whatever uh, religious following, there were there were some rules that they had. Most of these people would have been of some kind of Jewish influence, but but they had rules against murder, and so that he established some common ground. He said, "You've all heard it taught that that murder is wrong, and whosoever uh, murders shall be in danger of the of judgment." He says, "But I say unto you." that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of, of judgment. Hmm. Quite a bit higher standard, isn't it? And can you imagine how shocking that would be for them to hear, wait a minute, not only can I not murder this guy, but that guy that I was mad at last week, that might put me in danger of judgment as well? So can you see how Jesus is is upping the bar. He's increasing the standard here. Um, He goes on to say, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, and that simply means worthless. Now, there are a lot greater insults that people use than, than to call somebody worthless. But what Jesus says here is to call somebody worthless will put you in danger of the council. And we know that back in that day that that's, that's what happened is, at least in Jewish Times that if you were um, in Jewish centers, if if you were found guilty of of a trespass against your brother, they would take you to a council. We all remember the Sanhedrin council that was uh, so instrumental in in uh, condemning Jesus. So he says that uh, even to call your your brother rack or to say you're worthless, you'll be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, I remember several years ago, uh, back in the 1980s, there was a, a TV star named uh, Mr. T. Do you remember, those of you that are a little bit older may remember. And one of the things that Mr. T said a lot was, I, w- I pity the fool that would do whatever. And uh, there, was a, there was a young, I was teaching at a, at a high school and, and part of my Part of my day took me into a middle school, and there was a kid that used that a lot. And he was saying that a lot during the day. And, you know, he would say something about fool, fool this, fool that. And um, I happened to have my Bible one day, and I had him in class, and so I just asked him to come up to the front of the room. And I said, I want to show you something. And I had him read that verse, and he, he reads it. He looks at me, he looks and reads it again, and he goes back to his desk and he says, now he tells me after I've said it 5,000 times. (laughs) But you get the idea that that Jesus is upping the standard here. He's saying that even even to call somebody a fool, um, it it gets to a matter of the heart and, and to... If we act out in ways that, that may not rise to the level of murder, and we might thought have been okay in the old law, Jesus is saying that this is inappropriate uh, anymore. And another interesting thing about this passage is um, he mentions hell. And this hell 
is Gehenna hellfire. It's a it's an eternal punishment, and I believe it's the first time in the scriptures that that eternal hell is actually mentioned. Now, there's 31 times in the Old Testament that there's a reference to the word hell, and it's always translated in the Jewish word sheol, which meant grave or the resting place of those that, that had gone on. Uh, but but this is a reference to an eternal judgment, and I think it's the first time you see that. Um, he goes on and says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. Okay, think about why would a Jew bring a gift to the altar? The reason is, is because he had done something that was a transgression of the law of Moses. And in order to be right again with God, he needed to offer this sacrifice. And so he brings this gift to the, to the altar to be offered to make himself right with God. What, what Jesus is saying is, it's important for you to do that, but it's important first that if you have something against a brother, that that's not as important is going and making it right with that brother. So you go to that brother, you make it right with that brother, and then you come back to the altar and you make it right with God. So again, can you imagine how revolutionary an idea this would be if this were the first time you were hearing such a thing? That the idea was always, i got to be right with God and forget everybody else. But now he's saying that I've got to be right with my brother before I can make myself right with God. So again, Jesus is ratcheting up the standard here quite a bit. So he goes from from murder. Not only is it wrong to murder, it's wrong to hate. Not only is it wrong to hate, it's wrong to slander. Not only is it wrong to, to slander, it's wrong to dispute. Look at this. He says in verse 25, Agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say unto you that by no means you will get out till you have paid the last penny. We know that this was a, in a time where if you were found to have a debt, and, and the person that you had the debt against brought you to court then you would be thrown in jail until you could pay. The trouble is, is you're in jail and you can't make any money to pay. So now, really, you're relying on your family to be able to come up with the, with the resources to then bail you out of jail and get, and pay that debt. And so, again, the standard here is don't try to make yourself as right as you can with other people. So again, it's not just about the relationship between you and God, but rather it's a relationship with you and your fellow man because if that relationship with you and your fellow man is wrong, then you can't be right with God. And that was a huge shift, I think, for probably the people that heard this. And then the next example he uses, he says, you've heard it said to those of old, again, that's where we started, You shall not commit adultery. So again, he starts with common ground. You all have rules against that and you know that that's wrong. But look what he says. But I say unto you that whosoever looks at a woman to lust 
for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, what a higher standard that is. That, that Jesus is saying, not only is it wrong to do the act, but it's wrong to have that lust in your heart to start with. I thought of the story of David and Bathsheba. And if, if you look at that story, uh, the way it happened is it was at night and David walked out onto the rooftop there and he could look out in this courtyard. And as he looked down, he saw Bathsheba. And he saw that she was very beautiful and one to be desired. And he sent for her. Now, for him to send for her, why did he do that? Because he already had that act in his heart. He had already committed adultery with, with her in his heart before he ever sent for her, for her because he had that desire. And he, he was going to, he was going to act out that desire. So he was wrong already at that point. So again, we go from adultery just to having lust, and that, that is, is something that Jesus condemns. Uh, really equally, really equally. Not to say that, that we should, oh, I've already sinned already, I ought to carry it out. But rather, that Jesus says that we're wrong when, when we allow ourselves to get to that level. And he goes on, he says, this is how serious that is. Now think about that last sin. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. You know, I've never known anybody that done anything like that. But what Jesus is saying is, it's that serious. It's that critical that we not commit these sins of the heart. Because committing those sins of the heart... Number one, they're wrong in themselves. And number two, we know what they lead to. They lead to sins of the flesh. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it out uh, from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Again, I can't imagine uh, thinking about, well, my eyes are, my eyes are betraying me. I'm going to poke them out. Or my hands, I, 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 have a, I have a problem with stealing. And so I have this problem with stealing. And so I'm going to cut my hands off so I can't steal anymore. can't imagine uh, getting that, taking that serious a step. But Jesus says here that clearly it's better. It's better for you to give up one of your members than to spend eternity in hell because you can't bring them under control. So if you look at the old law versus the new, under Moses' teaching, they simply say, well, if you commit the sin, you go make yourself right with God by offering the appropriate sacrifice with the priest. And then you just recycle and do that again. What Jesus is saying is, that's not enough. Identify the sin of the heart. First, go make yourself right with man in, in, in the event that, that there's some wrong there. And then make yourself right with God. And then finally, you're to purify the heart by eliminating these things that are tempting and causing, causing the central part of your thought to be such that they're corrupt. Pretty radical change. Mark's chapter 7. He says, For from, the, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, 
adulteries, fornications, murders. Notice he's not talking about feet. He's not talking about hands. He's talking about from the heart these things happen. Theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. So they're wrong on the inside, and those outward acts are merely a manifestation of that which is already wrong. In James chapter 1, he puts it this way. He says, But when each one is tempted, he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives forth gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So he talks about being tempted. Well, how would you be tempted? By your desires. When your desires become so strong that they're taking you away, that they're controlling controlling what you're doing and what you want, and all you can think about is that thing that you want. And when, do, when desires sit in there long enough in your heart, ultimately, they're going to come out. They're going to come out. We can think that we can hide these things and we can control them for a period of time, and perhaps we can for a period of time. But ultimately, what happens is these things do manifest themselves. What Jesus said is, at this point you've already sinned. But then what James says is, when, when this desire is conceived it will bring forth these, these sins to fruition or, or to manifestation uh, by an act. And then when sin is, is fully grown, it will ultimately lead to your demise. Not a physical death here, we're talking about a spiritual one. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45 you know, if you think about the tongue, James made some comments about the tongue. He says if you can control the tongue, you can control the whole body. You remember that? Why is the tongue so difficult to control? Because it's the first avenue by which the heart can manifest itself. That's why it's so difficult to control. It's real easy for me to have a thought and to spit it out. If I, have, if, if I wish to do an evil act... If I wish to, to do something, to, I'm going to go uh, puncture somebody's tires. Well, I have to go get the, I have to get a nail, and I have to have to figure out. I got to go out there and do it, and that gives me some time to think and reflect. Do I really want to do that? But the tongue, you see, I can go from thought writing to to words so quickly, and so that's why it's so difficult to control. And so, if we don't control our hearts, ultimately, we'll not be able to control our tongues. Well, look back in Old Testament times in, in Genesis. Where did, where, did, uh, where did all this evil, this wickedness that existed in the world occur when God looked down in, in the times of Noah and saw all this evil? Where did He see the evil? Every intent and the thoughts of His, being man, His heart was only evil continually. Every thought, every, everything in the heart was, was evil it was sinful, it was against God, it pulled him away from God. And so God repented that he made man because of that. Grieved his heart. A New Testament example, we remember this from Acts chapter 8. We remember old Simon, what he did is he saw that through the laying on the hands that, that the apostles could impart this power. And so what Simon says is, hey, 
give me this power because I want to have that kind of power too to do this. But look what and Peter said to him, You're, he tried to buy it. So Peter says, your money perish with you because you have thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. See, this was a new convert. And so rather than seeing the gift of God for what it was, he thought it was another scheme, another, another thing that he could use to manipulate into his advantage. And Peter points out to him that his motives are wrong. His heart's not right. Well, Jeremiah 17 tells us this, and I think we'd probably all agree, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can control it? It seems almost impossible, doesn't it? It seems almost impossible to control. You know, we get pretty good, especially as you get older. I'm pretty good about thinking about a situation will come up and I'll think, how should I respond? Now, that gives me time to go, okay, I know what I want to do. I know what my heart's telling me to do. But that might not be the thing to do. So, let me think about what should I do if my heart was right. What Jesus is saying is, ultimately, and not to say that that's not good, that's better than acting out and and lashing out and doing something we'll regret. But again, Jesus calls us to a higher standard, and that higher standard is to purify the heart. And, And so in Jeremiah, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things, and who can know it? Who can control it? Well, in Romans 12, it tells us, That we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I like the little graphic over there, because ultimately the renewing of your mind, the controlling of our hearts, which is a lifelong battle. and It's a a day-to-day battle, it's a lifelong battle. I believe you can control it today and you're going to have to get up and fight it tomorrow. And I believe if you win tomorrow, you'll have to fight it on Tuesday. And I believe you'll get up on Wednesday and you'll have to fight it again. I believe it's an everyday, lifelong battle. And it starts with how we program our mind. What we allow in there. Now, brethren, you think about all the millions and billions of dollars that are spent in U.S. advertising. Now, think about that. Those advertisers are putting money... They are investing money in advertising. Why? Because they know it shapes behavior. And they know it better than we who are advertised to know it. In fact, our tendency is to think that we're not impacted by that. That, that, that somehow we're above that and, and we can always just filter that out and, and we won't act upon those things. Why do they keep pouring billions of dollars in? Because it works. And so by the, in the same thinking, The things, what we see, what we choose to look at, what we choose to read, what we choose to watch. Some people have the idea that, well, I can watch all of that and it won't affect my behavior, it won't affect my thinking. That's so wrong. We tend to overestimate our ability uh, to, to compartmentalize. 
we, we think we can do that and it won't affect the rest of our lives. And the truth is it doesn't. It affects it. So the things that we see, the things that we will watch, the things that we will read uh, impact your behavior, impact your thinking, and then ultimately impact your behavior. And then the things that we hear, the things that you listen to are going to impact that. So if, if you're going to listen to music that is violent, if you're going to listen to music that uses bad language, if you're going to, then that ultimately is going to affect your mind. And if it's going to affect your mind, it's going to affect what your heart does and then ultimately affect your behaviors. And then based on those inputs, the things that we see and the things that we hear, it affects the things that we think, the things that we dwell upon, the things, the desires of our heart. So if we want to, you know, in, in one place it says that whatever things are just and lovely and of good report and all those things, to think on these things. Why? Because he's saying that you have to program this computer in a way that you will get an output that is similar to the input. And so if you put evil and hate and, and, and lust and all those things in the input, guess what you're going to get in the output? You're going to get the same thing. So the things, so what you see and what you hear affects what you think. And what you think affects what you say. And the things that you say ultimately affect what you do. So Jesus here in this short passage is teaching about that. That ultimately the challenge for us is not just to obey the laws in a rigid way, but rather to obey them from the heart. To have a desire in our heart that I want to do right by God. I'm going to program my, my mind with the things of His Word. I'm going to read His Word. I'm going to spend time with Christian people. And I'm going to learn to think like they think. And if I think like they think, then that will help me be right in my heart. And I will live in a way that's pleasing to God. Not just because I can filter out. Not just because I can, I can step out of myself and go... Now, how would a Christian really act and then act that way but still have the old wicked heart that's controlling my thoughts and, and intents? And so uh, that's the lesson this morning. I, I hope that uh, it's been, it's, it's a hard lesson. It's, it's a simple concept, isn't it? But it's a hard thing to do because ultimately, as it says in Jeremiah, who can know this heart? And uh, the song to me that Dusty led before was so beautiful because it talks about a river and you think about that river and that that's, if the Spirit controlled the flow of those waters, if that's your mind, what's, what's your river look, what does your mind look like? What would the river of your mind look like? Well, with me, that'd be, it'd be like a, it'd flow that way for a while and then it'd run back the other way and, Water flat, splashing up against itself and there'd be all this confusion. But ultimately, we want to turn ourselves to God and that, that flow be simply of our mind toward Him. I would encourage you to examine yourself. If we can do anything for you this morning, uh, we're going to offer a song of invitation and we would invite you to come forward if you need prayers of the church.